1: Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday, August 10th, 2023. And speaking of 23, that's how many days away we are from the kickoff of Auburn football. It's a gorgeous day here in the Auburn-Opelika area. Hope you're all doing well on this Thursday. This is On The Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you for the next two hours right here on ESPN 1067. Well. It's been a very, very busy day uh, for me. Uh, Started over this morning over uh, at the football facility where Auburn had practice once again. Uh, They had a media viewing window today after a day off yesterday. And so, going to talk about that a little bit today. Talk about what I saw. Talk about some of the notes about uh, who was running with which team, right? First team, second team, third team, all that good stuff. So we'll definitely talk about that today uh, and talk about some interesting notes from from practice today. Uh, We got to see about 30 minutes of it, I'd say about... Uh, about 20 minutes of that or so, maybe 25 was was actual practice, saw some stretching and stuff as well. But um, we'll talk about a lot, a lot of that today, uh, about what we saw as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. We're 23 days away, folks. 23 days. I mean, it's crazy how fast uh, it is approaching. And so did that today. Uh, a lot of today in the next few days are preparing for uh, the high school football seasons because, believe it or not, high school football is right around the corner as well. Uh, If you know me or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that uh, I am the voice of the Lee Scott Warriors. We do the Lee Scott Sports Network here, uh, along with Auburn High School as well. And so Lee Scott actually starts a week from tonight. Yeah, they start their first game a week from tonight at home against Chambers Academy. So uh, lots to get done between now and then. So that's where a lot of my focus has been trying to get all that done. Uh, Auburn High School, they start uh, the week after that along with most of the other schools uh, in the area. So uh, they will be playing Hoover on the road to start their first game. And we broadcast the Auburn High School Sports Network here as well. So lots going on around the stations. It's a good time to be here though, uh, getting stuff set up and ready for us to be the official flagship station of the uh, in the Auburn Opelika area of the Auburn Sports Network, so we're working on that stuff as well. So lots going on around here, but it's a great time to be here. It's the best time of the year. It is finally football season. So we'll talk about practice today and what happened this morning uh, with the uh, f- uh, fall practice again for Auburn. Also, want to take a look today at the preseason coaches poll college football Auburn not in the top 25 not like we expected them to be they did receive some votes however so we'll talk about that uh, talk about some of the teams that are in that top 25 and some of the teams that are ahead of Auburn um, I don't necessarily agree with and so we'll talk about that some today as well plus it's Thursday which means Chris Gordy host of Locked On SEC will join us coming up in hour number two that'll be at 3.30 giving us updates from all over the SEC and practices the quarterback battles maybe some injury updates the biggest storyline so should be a great conversation with him we're gonna have a fun show today and so I want you to be involved with today's show as well on the phone lines they are open all the way up until we talk to Chris Gordy at hour number two so if you have comments questions concerns something you want to talk about let me know. I want to talk to you about it as well. 334 321 1390 is the number to put you through to me. 334 321 1390 on the phone lines. You can call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. And so as we jump into this thing, uh, again, I mentioned Auburn. We are 23 days away from the kickoff of Auburn football. They had practice this morning once again. And in the viewing window, that we were able to see, uh, we got to see the offense run their basic uh, routines. Right, everybody line up and just run a basic play and and see, just kind of see how everybody looks, kind of getting warmed up a little bit. And some of the notes from practice this morning, um, you had some interesting groups, I would say, when it comes to the offense, and a lot of that had to do. With the receivers now, does that mean this is what we're going to see on day one? I don't think so, but it was interesting, and we're going to get into that. So uh, it is important to note that Peyton Thorne was out running the ones once again. Uh, he we know, and we talked about this yesterday. Uh, we've talked about how the coaches have been letting all the quarterbacks sort of circulate. Right, they've been letting them circulate a little bit in uh, which rotation they were in, if they were running with the starting offensive line or the second offensive line or first set of receivers, running backs, all that type of stuff, right? They've been rotating that around, but Peyton Thorne was back with the ones this morning. And from the limited throws we got to see him make and limited plays we got to see him make, he looks good. I mean, Peyton Thorne looks good. He looks like a starting SEC quarterback to me. Um, I mean, he made, he made the throws, right? I didn't see any bad throws, no bad balls, um, clean handoffs with his starting running back, which was Jarquez Hunter, uh, was running with the ones as the running back. Um, I think that is known that Jarquez will be your one. There's obviously been a lot of questions coming into fall camp and through the first few days of fall practice of, well, is Jarquez Hunter going to start whatever, whatever, but He is back, uh, and he was running with the ones this morning with Peyton Thorne as his quarterback on the first-team offense. Uh, The offensive line hasn't changed. It's been pretty set in stone for the last few practices. Gunner Britton at right tackle, Cam Stutz at right guard, Avery Jones playing center. He looks really good to me, by the way. Avery Jones looks really good to me playing center. Tate Johnson at left guard, and Dylan Wade at left tackle. So that has been, like I said, that's been pretty standard over the last few practices, and it didn't change any this morning. Uh, Fairweather, Revaldo Fairweather, was your starting tight end. Luke Deal was getting runs with the twos. And then it it was interesting because our good friend Lance Dahl and I of Locked On Kentucky and Auburn Daily, him and I were standing there together this morning watching watching the offense do some run-throughs and we talked about how it was odd to see the group of receivers that were running with the first team it was nick Martner, all right nick mardner jay fair and omari kelly were running with the ones and not saying anything about those guys by any means because those are all really talented guys but it was odd to us to see that group running with the ones. Um, again, I, I like those guys. I think they're going to be really, really good. But you compare that to who was running with the twos, Shane Hooks, Jair Shorter, Luke Deal, as I mentioned, and Caleb Burton. And so, I don't know. It, it was interesting for us. And... Uh, you saw you saw some guys sub in and out. I think Malcolm Johnson got a few a few plays in there. Um, but yeah, just kind of caught our eye this morning with who was running with the ones at receiver. Didn't see anything wrong with it. Didn't didn't see anything that had me scratching my head from a performance standpoint. But I don't know. It just kind of caught our eye. Me and Lance standing there this morning, uh, watching watching practice, and so. Offense overall looked good. It was uh, Austin Damari, Damari Austin running at the running back with the twos with Robbie at the quarterback spot running with the twos. So um, I wasn't surprised to see that. But uh, I mean, I think overall, uh, I've talked about this. I think the quarterback battle right now is for the number two spot. Peyton Thorne looked good throwing the football. Uh, he's accurate. He's timely. Uh, he can He can throw it pretty hard and it, it gets there really fast right I mean all the things you're looking for out of your starting quarterback and I just don't think I haven't seen anything that's going to change my mind that he won't be your starter right the battle though is Holden Garner and Robbie Ashford for number two and Holden Gerner looked he looked good again I've said it before and I saw it again this morning at practice he has the best looking football he has the best looking throw and it's been a long time since I've seen somebody throw the football so effortlessly like I've seen with Holden Gurner. He steps up, and when he throws the football, it's like his arm just barely moves. It's like he's just he's throwing a wiffle ball almost, and the ball just soars, and it goes right where he's, right where he's aiming, and it's perfect and on time every single time. So he got the run with the threes today. Um, Robbie had a couple of running plays. There were a couple, you know, good handoffs for Tamari and inside. Uh, you saw Sean Jackson got a few runs in this morning as well. The big bowling ball that he is. Um, and during the time, I will say this, during the time that Auburn was stretching this morning, I was standing there uh, with the running backs and man. I talked a lot about them yesterday and how I feel. They're going to be one of the best rooms in the country. I I firmly believe that. They look good. They look really, really good. They're big. They're physical. They're fit. Right? They are not afraid to get down and dirty, I don't think. And that's exactly what you're looking for from an SEC running back room. And the depth is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'm excited about that group as well. Did we see anything today at practice that just blew our minds? No. Not really. I'll be honest with you. Nothing today was just like, wow. I can't can't believe I saw that. Can't believe this person was here or this person was there. Whatever. Um, wasn't a whole lot of just shock and awe today, but it was another good viewing window. And I think that they're, I think this is a talented team. I talked about this yesterday as well. I think they're a talented team. I think they are a well-knitted team. And I'm interested to see where this team goes. Uh, but practice this morning, it was, your, it was a routine practice. And I talked about, uh, and I mentioned this yesterday, how the coaching staff, we see what they want us to see. right? They see what they want us to see. But overall... There were no miscommunications. There were no bad throws. There were no dropped balls. There were no fumbles, anything like that. And they weren't doing anything super crazy, but there were no miscues. Even Caleb Burton. Remember I talked about him after the first or second practice, maybe the second practice we got to see, how early on he was sort of struggling getting down when he was supposed to be on the field and which rotation he was with and when to be in where. Didn't see any of that today with him. Didn't see any of that at all. He was right where he needed to be each and every time. And I'm impressed by him. I think he's going to be really, really good. And again, the biggest thing with the receivers was just the rotation that was out there. But I don't think that's anything to, to look into super, super deep because... They're going to change it up, and they're going to figure out that's what the coaching staff's doing right now. That's what fall practice is for, right? They're trying to figure out which group of guys is the best group and which ones work best with which quarterback and which ones work best with which offensive line and which running back group. I mean, that's what you're doing right now. And so final takeaways from practice, nothing too crazy. I'll be really honest. Nothing too crazy. You've got the scrimmage coming up on Saturday. I think that's where you're going to learn a lot. I think that's where you will see some separation in some position battles. Um, I think one of those will be quarterback as well. Um, the running back room is pretty set in stone, I think. I think the rotation there is going to be pretty pretty set. Um, I didn't see a whole lot on the defensive side today, I'll be honest. I focused a lot on the offense just because that's where, that's where the question marks are. That's where the biggest question marks are. That's where the biggest position battles are. And that's where a lot of you are most interested in that are listening to this show right now. That's where a lot of you want to know what's going on. And so overall, nothing groundbreaking today at practice, but another good one for the window that we got to see. And so I'm excited about Saturday to see what happens and get to hear what Freeze has to say. Uh, Some of the assistant coaches talked today. I was not able to get back over there for that. Um, I believe, and I'll have to double check on this, but I believe Dan from the drive uh, was able to get back over there and they may have some audio later on this afternoon, but uh, I was not able to get over there. But overall, uh, a solid viewing window today uh, for Auburn practice. Peyton Thorne running with the ones, Robbie with the twos, and Gurner with the threes. Interesting group at wide receiver. It was Jarquez with the ones at the running back spot and Damari Austin running with the twos. So, and again, the offensive line pretty much unchanged. It was the exact same thing we've been seeing. Gunnar Britton at right tackle, Cam Stutz at right guard, Avery Jones playing center, Tate Johnson at left guard, and Dylan Wade at left tackle so interested and, and excited for saturday for the fall scrimmage for auburn when we come back we'll talk some more auburn we'll look around the scc plus i want to take a look at that preseason coaches poll and talk about why we know auburn's getting disrespected but there's some teams in front of them that i think are a little over respected we'll talk about that when we come back give me a call i want to hear from you on a thursday afternoon 334-321-1390 Hey, let's talk a little basketball for a minute. I know it's been flying under the radar with all the football excitement as we are uh, a little over 20 days away, 23 to be exact, for Auburn football. But don't forget about Auburn basketball. They're doing some things uh, that I think are uh, noteworthy that we need to talk about. You've got a huge commitment set up uh, for uh, Flori Badunga, who is set to announce this coming Saturday. One of the uh, biggest names in recruiting. He's six foot eight. Uh, he's a center, and uh, he's got Auburn in in his top few schools. He is down to uh, Auburn, Duke, Kansas, and Michigan uh, as his four finalists. And uh, you know he is. He's one of those guys that is a difference maker down low. I mean, think about this. The guy's 6 foot 8 and he can jump out of the gym. I mean, he is unbelievably skilled with the basketball in his hands for a big man. Uh, he can fly out of the gym and he can he's one of those guys and you don't see this a whole lot anymore. But, it, but when you do, they dominate the game. You see him as a big man that can do it himself, right? He can create his own offense. And you know how important that is when you get to college and especially when you get to the pros? Look at the best centers in the NBA. Look at the best players in the NBA. A lot of them are centers, big fours or big fives, that can create their own offense. Jokic, Giannis. Embiid, right? Those guys who have won MVPs and have won NBA championships—they're big men that create their own shot. They create their own offense, and I think that's what Flory Badunga can do in the college game. Now, is he going to—is he going to choose Auburn? I don't know. The feeling is not great. I don't think on this. And look, Auburn's in with some of the biggest schools in the country, in some of the biggest programs. In college basketball, you're dealing with Michigan, Duke, and Kansas. And here's what he had to say about Auburn. He said, quote, I love Bruce Pearl and his son, Steven, who got a promotion just a few weeks ago. He said, uh, they have been there from the beginning to now. They kept going with me. It has been good so far with them. So he has good things to say. I just don't know if Auburn's going to make it happen. It would be huge. It would absolutely be huge uh, if Auburn could find a way to, to pull this guy. I mean, he he's a top five, top ten player in the country. I mean, he really, really is. So keep that in mind. That commitment's coming up on Saturday. Again, he'll be choosing between Auburn, Duke, Kansas, and Michigan. Uh, also, if you missed the announcement, uh, Auburn will be participating Auburn basketball will be participating in the uh, legends classic this coming up season, taking on Notre Dame for the first time in college basketball. So I think that's interesting as well, right? Auburn taking on Notre Dame. No, they aren't top tier college basketball anymore. Notre Dame used to be good. They're not now. Um, they're, they're more, they've def- definitely, definitely uh, averaged out. I guess when you talk about, what Notre Dame used to be and what they are currently in college basketball, but uh, Auburn will be traveling to uh, Brooklyn, New York, and playing the Barclays Center to take on Notre Dame on Thursday, November sixteenth. And so, why is that? Why is that important? Well, that adds to what is already a really, really good and tough non-conference schedule for Auburn basketball coming up in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. Auburn opens up the year, reminder, Auburn opens up the year playing Baylor out in South Dakota. So, you're opening up against a really, really good team, uh, a top 25 college basketball program in the Baylor Bears. Then, a week later, you travel to Brooklyn to take on Notre Dame in the Legends Classic. Then, you're also going to take on either Oklahoma State or St. Bonaventure in that same in that same little organization right there, right? So you're going to play one of those two schools. Those are wishy-washy tournament teams, right? Those are teams that make an appearance here and there in the NCAA tournament. Don't forget, don't forget about the ACC-SEC Challenge, right? Because the SEC Big 12 Challenge, no longer a thing. That was played in late January. I liked that. I liked where that was put, but that's no longer a thing. It's now the ACC-SEC Challenge that is played in late November. And Auburn's playing Virginia Tech. They get that game at home inside of Neville Arena. And when Carter was still here, we talked about when these matchups were released and how they really just dropped the ball on these, honestly. I mean, they did. They just dropped the ball on these matchups in the ACC-SEC Challenge. And Auburn, out of all of the teams they could have gotten, they got one of the worst ones. They got Virginia Tech. Is anybody excited about Virginia Tech coming to town? I'm not. I mean, I'll go. And it'll be an exciting game because you've never seen them play. But Auburn easily could have gotten Virginia. You could have given them Syracuse. Could have given them Duke or North Carolina or somebody. Somebody halfway decent in the ACC. But either way, it's a... The a big-name school. I wouldn't say they're a big-name basketball program by any means, but you continue to look down the list. Indiana in the Holiday Hoops Giving over at State Farm Arena in Atlanta, that's a big game. That's a huge game. And no, Indiana isn't winning national championships, but they just have one of the best players in college basketball in Trace Jackson Davis, and they're still a legitimate basketball program. Is Indiana a blue blood anymore? I don't think so. But that's still a really good team, and it's a good program, and a great test for Auburn early on. And then you play UNC Asheville on December 13th over at Huntsville in the Rocket City Classic. So, all that being said, Auburn's playing some some solid non-conference games against big name schools. Baylor, Notre Dame, possibly Oklahoma State or St. Bonaventure, Virginia Tech, Indiana, UNC Asheville, teams that make appearances and make noise in March. And folks, this is going to be a really, really good Auburn basketball team. The talent is there on this team. The depth is there on this team. And guess what? They can actually shoot the basketball. They can score. They can score. They can shoot. They can run. They can play defense. This is a really good basketball team. So don't forget about them. If the football season starts to get exciting... Because basketball is not too far behind them when it comes to getting started. They start on November 7th. Start on November 7th. I'm about to look it up on how many days until uh, November 7th. And let's see. According to, according to Google, how many days until November 7th? 89. 89 days. That's not very long for Auburn basketball. I'm excited about that season as well, That's going to be a lot of fun when Bruce Pearl and the guys get back on the hardwood, opening up with Baylor on November 7th for the 2023-2024 college basketball season. When we come back, we'll look at the preseason coaches poll for college football, where Auburn ended up, and some of the teams ahead of them, I just don't get it. We'll talk about that when we come back. Give me a call on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. More of the Thursday edition of On the Line when we come back.
0: Jacob Goins on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
1: All right, halfway through hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds. Not the backup Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. A reminder that coming up in hour number two, Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC, will join us about an hour from now uh, to give us some updates around the Southeastern Conference uh, from fall practice, talk about some of those position battles, maybe even get his thoughts on All of this crazy uh, conference realignment stuff and how the game of college football, college athletics uh, is changing right in front of our eyes. But a couple of days ago, I want to get into this just a little bit. A couple of days ago... Uh, the preseason coaches poll top 25 uh, was put together and released for uh, for college football and want to take a look top to bottom kind of go through this with you uh, and and talk about some of these teams the ones that are obviously near the top the ones that are related to Auburn maybe on Auburn's schedule um and look at some of the teams on here that I just don't 100% agree with. Uh, and if you haven't seen this yet, um, Auburn was not in the top 25, uh, but they did receive some votes, and so uh, keep that in mind. Not that we are surprised that Auburn didn't make the top 25 on a preseason poll given how last year ended right, with uh, the 5-7 and seven year with Brian Harson getting fired, all that type of stuff, right? You have a new head coach, you have a brand new football team. The expectations just aren't there outside of 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 Auburn fan bases and, and really Auburn media as well. Um, so not worried about it at all. And there's a lot of you Auburn fans out there that take a year like this. It's right? It's the odd year, right? There's a new head coach. Expectations are through the floor, outside of the Auburn, right. Nobody believes Auburn to be anything. And it seems like this is always the time that Auburn decides to do something. So maybe that'll be the case. But as of right now, coming into the year, nobody outside of, let's just say, the state of Alabama, nobody thinks Auburn's going to be anything. If you don't follow this team and cover this team or listen to people about this team, then you have no idea. So, not surprised that Auburn's not in this preseason top 25. But let's run through it real quick. And I would love to hear from you your thoughts on any of these teams, whether they're too high, too low, whether they'll be in this around their same spot at the end of the season. If you believe in these teams, if you don't believe in these teams, uh, I would love to hear from you on the phone lines 334 321 1390. So to start this thing off, you've got Georgia at the top. And it makes sense, right? Back-to-back national championships. Uh, the talent is, is through the roof. They've got more players and more five stars and they know what to do with. Uh, Kirby Smart has proven himself to be a fantastic coach. And he's proven to be one of the best in the game. Now, they better get their off-field stuff figured out. Let me just go ahead and say that. Georgia better figure it out off the field. Because Kirby's got a great thing going in Athens right now. And he could lose it by the snap of a finger if he doesn't get the off-field stuff figured out. So it's crazy to see this stuff happen. And it's the same thing that's happening over and over and over again. But they got to get it figured out. And I'm sure a lot of you saw that the staffer, that was involved with the accidents a while back. She was fired and was suing Georgia. She was suing the university and they fired her. So the crazy situation going on there. This could be this could be a really big turning point for Georgia football if they can't get all this off-field stuff figured out. Because There's a lot of things that made Nick Saban and Alabama very successful, and you could sit here for hours and hours and hours and talk about what those were, but one of the biggest ones was discipline. Discipline within his program. Players didn't get in trouble at Alabama, and if they did, they were off the team. They were off the team, and it did not matter. No questions asked, moved on, and that's what was an underlying thing that made Nick Saban and Alabama so successful for so long. So, sure, Georgia's got back-to-back national championships, but if you can't keep guys out of trouble, it's not going to last very long. But coming into this year, they're at the top, as they should be. You look down this list, and uh, you've got Michigan at number two. I like this Michigan team. I think this is probably, without a doubt, it's the most talented team that Jim Harbaugh's ever had. But it could be one of the most talented teams Michigan has ever had. And don't forget, Harbaugh is suspended the first four games of the year due to some NCAA violations. But if you look at the Michigan schedule, it might be the easiest Power 5 schedule in college football. I mean, it is so... It's so bad. It's so bad that those four games, you won't even notice Jim Harbaugh's gone. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. Cool. That's it. That's all you got. Michigan's going to be fine without Jim Harbaugh, and I think they're going to have a really good year, and I think they will be better than Ohio State. Now, will they be battle-tested by the time they play the Buckeyes in late November? I don't know, so we'll have to find out. But you got Michigan there at two, Alabama at three. Seems a little high to me. And and I say that because we don't know who's leading that team on offense. We don't know who the quarterback is. And you can't sit here and tell me that there's enough talent surrounding whoever that quarterback is for you to have the confidence for them to be the number three team coming into the season. There's no shot. They're top ten because of that talent around the quarterback. But the question mark on who is throwing the football and who is managing the offense, the fact that we don't have an answer for that, Alabama's not a top three team coming into this year. Now, we talked to Austin Hannon yesterday of Bama Central, and he said he is super, super excited about this Alabama defense. He said the defense is going to be really, really good, and I believe him. I believe him. Everything I've seen and read about Alabama's defense, it it may be an old-school crimson tide defense and the offensive line they're chirping they're confident we'll see if they can back it up they're gonna have receivers running back rooms a little interesting right now for them but I think there's still question marks on the offensive side and for Alabama to be three in this coach's poll I don't know if I quite agree with that Ohio State at four that's fine with me we know Ohio State's got the talent they still have a little quarterback situation but I'm not worried about it. I think Ohio State's going to be just fine. LSU at five. Big LSU's a really good team. I think they're really talented. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Borderline one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And I think LSU should be the favorite to win the SEC West. They should. They should be the favorite. I think they're the best team. And I think they're borderline the best team in the conference. Now, of course, I say that, and they'll go 8-4 and and have a couple bad losses on the schedule, but I think LSU is a really, really good team, and I think Brian Kelly knows it. I think he knows it. I think he knows he's got the talent, he's got the coaches, he's got the scheme, and he's got the confidence, and so does his team, and I think LSU is going to be really, really good. You look at how this rounds out the top 10. USC at six. Penn State at seven. I just don't know. Penn State gets this every year. right? They get the hype every year. They get a big win or two every year. But they also lose a game or two every year. And so they've just never gotten over the hump. right? They're always there. Penn State's always there. And they're always a threat. But they never can get it done to be a legitimate contender at the very end. I'm interested to see if he can can do that because they're basically the third best team year in and year out in their own conference behind Ohio State and Michigan. They're always the third or fourth best. They can't ever get any farther than that. They can normally beat a big team like Ohio State, but they always lose a game that they're not supposed to. So I'm curious to see if they can get over that this year. Florida State at 8. Carter, when he was here, talked about his love for Florida State this year, how he thinks they are going to be very, very talented. Clemson at 9? I just don't know. I just don't know. They've been so good in such a crappy conference for so long. For so long. I just don't know what they're going to look like. I think Florida State's better than them. I think Florida State is better than them. And you have Cade, I think Cade Klubnik is their quarterback, right? I don't know if he's going to be able to, to be a top 10 team for Clemson. I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And then Tennessee at 10. I'm higher on Tennessee than a lot of people are. There's a lot of people that think Tennessee takes that step back this year. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I think Tennessee is still really, really good. I think they have the best quarterback in the SEC in Joe Milton, and I think he's going to light it up this year. It's going to be about the defense for Tennessee because the Vols are going to score. They're going to score 40 points a game. But the problem is, and you've seen this a lot in college football now, the problem is, you have to score 45 because your defense is giving up 40 because it's a huge offensive game now. Right, Terry? I know you're listening. It's, a huge, it's offensive now. And so just because you can put up 40, the defenses are struggling to hold people back like they used to. And whether you like that or not, that's the game of college football. And I think that's going to be a huge part of Tennessee's success or failure this year. Can the defense hold offenses? Especially in the SEC East, where I th- you can make an argument. You can make a really, really compelling argument that the offenses in the SEC East, the top five offenses, are better than the top five in the West. You can make an argument. You've got Spencer Rattler in South Carolina. You have Joe Milton, at Tennessee. You have Devin Leary at Kentucky. Carson Beck at Georgia, if that's what that ends up being. I don't truly know. They've got some running back issues right now that Jordan Hill was telling us about yesterday, but there's some excitement in the SEC East. Florida's going to be terrible. Vanderbilt's offense, whatever, but there's some good offenses on that side of the conference and what is the final year of the East and West divisions in this conference? So Tennessee going to have to stop some people. In my opinion, looking up and down the rest of this coaches poll, the preseason coaches poll is what we're looking through right now uh, of this top 25 Washington at 11, Texas at 12. Uh, I think Texas will roll through the big 12 this year. I think they win it. I think they will win it and hold their heads high and take their big 12 championship trophy as they flip the bird to the rest of the conference on their way to this conference, Notre Dame at 13, Utah at 14. What is going to be a future Big 12 team? It's going to take some getting used to, huh? Utah, going to be really, really good in the Pac-12. One of the biggest and baddest teams in this nation right now, I think, is Utah because they play in the Pac-12. I know that conference is exploding or imploding, however you want to say that. Maybe even imploding on itself. I know that conference is not going to exist in the next few years, but that conference this year? is going to be really, really good. The Pac-12 may be the best conference in college football this year, top to bottom. Because you have a team like Utah, who sits at 14. Oregon, who sits at 15 in this poll. Oregon State, who sits at 18 this year in this poll right now. There's some good teams out there, man. USC, who sits at number six. Like, the Pac-12 is going to be better this year than it's been in a long time. Washington at 11. There's a lot of good teams there this year. And I hate to see it all fall apart. It's going to. And it is. It's already happened. But watch out for the Pac-12 this year. Utah at 14. Oregon at 15. TCU at 16. That's just a huge question mark because they lost so much. They lost so much on a team that made it all the way to the National Championship game. We know what happened, but they lost a lot. So I just don't see TCU, I see this being a humbling year for the Horned Frogs there in the Big 12. Kansas State 17, Oregon State at 18. Sneaky team in the Pac-12, the Beavers are. Sneaky team, the Oregon State Beavers. Watch out for them, I'm telling you. They may not win that conference, but they'll finish top four. And they'll be in it till the end. And the Pac-12 may run into the problem it's run into in the past where they just beat themselves up and they just hurt themselves in the final year of a four-team playoff. They may end up holding themselves out of it again because everybody's so good out there where they all just beat up on each other. They've done it so many times. You've seen them do it, and you've seen the Big 12 do it. I think it could happen again this year. Oklahoma at 19, North Carolina 20. I think they have room to grow. Wisconsin at 21. They've been a top-tier, top-half, Big Ten team. Luke Fickle there, year one. We'll see what Wisconsin can do. Ole Miss at 22. I know there's a former co-host of mine that would hate that the fact that they're in the top 25 and, and thinks they're going to have a really bad year. Tulane at 23, good for them. Texas Tech at 24, don't agree. Texas A&M at 25. We all know what the wild card is. That Texas A&M is again Auburn not in this preseason coaches top 25 don't expect them to be there and it may take a little bit for Auburn to get ranked this year but I think if you start with wins over UMass Cal Sanford and somehow you can go on the road and beat Texas A&M you'll be a ranked team before Georgia comes to town and I think that's a very very fair statement to make and I think it's a doable accomplishment for this Auburn team in 2023 we'll come back we'll wrap up hour number one again phone lines are open we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 we'll wrap up hour number one on the other side
0: you are on the line on espn 1067 online at espnau.com or on the espn 1067 app
1: Got a couple of more minutes here in hour number one of the Thursday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. A reminder coming up in hour number two. uh, We'll talk some more about Auburn football practice. If if you missed my uh, recap from what I saw over there this morning, uh, be sure you stay tuned for hour number two. I'll talk about what I saw, some of the notes who was uh, rotating with which team on the offense. That's what I watched primarily today. Uh, Watched some of the defense just for a hair, but uh, mainly watched the offense over there this morning. So uh, if you missed that an hour in this hour, uh, be sure you stay tuned. I'll lead off hour number two with that. And then uh, Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC, uh, will join us as he does every Thursday. That'll be at 3.30. So that's what's coming up in the second hour. But a few more minutes here and... I was looking back through this list of this top 25 again during the break and just trying to look at some of the teams that I think could drop and rise as the year goes on like if we're if we're sitting here in January, right? And we were to pull this list back up and be like, "Okay, what were the biggest changes, right? What were the biggest difference makers? Who rose the most, who fell the most?" Uh, from this particular – and that, look, this is just the coach's preseason top 25. Is it the most diehard, just have to listen to this thing in the world? No, but it's a list, and it's something for us to get excited about and and start making lists and start comparing teams as we get closer and closer to the season. And so I was looking at this, and some teams that really stick out to me that I think are going to fall – Farther than where they are right now. I look at Penn State. I just don't, I'm not confident in them. I'm not. I'm not confident in Penn State to be, to get over that hump like I talked about. I think Florida State's got a good chance to rise. I think Clemson will fall from nine. I think Washington could be right there. They're at 11. I think they could rise as well. I think Oregon State's going to be good. I love the Beavers. They're at 18. They could be a top 15 team by the time this thing is said and done. And you know what? Auburn is going to be a top 25 team by the end of this season. You mark my words. Speaking of Auburn, we'll talk about practice earlier this morning when we come back to start hour number two. You don't want to miss it. Some interesting notes from who was running in the offense, the first team offense this morning, as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Stay tuned. Hour number two of On the Line coming up.
0: work production you are on the line live on ESPN 1067 Auburn Opelika's sports leader
1: Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Thursday edition of On The Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds. Not the backup, Jacob Goetz with you on ESPN 1067. If you missed any of the first hour of my show today, be sure to go and uh, catch up with the podcast ESPNAU.com or just search On The Line wherever you get your podcast. Talked about uh, Auburn football practice this morning, and so uh, if you missed that, don't worry. I'm going to talk about it some more again here in hour number two. My uh, observations this morning, what I saw, some things that uh, really caught my eye, and I think caught some other people's eye as well this morning. So we'll talk some more about that here in this second hour. Also, looked at the uh, preseason coaches top 25 poll uh, and looked at the rankings there auburn not in it but talked about some of the teams that are uh, and, and some interesting uh, notes in there as well so that was in hour number one again if you missed it go and catch up with the podcast at espnau.com it'll be up commercial free right after the show today uh, so talking some auburn football again in the second hour plus chris gordy host of locked on sec will join us coming up in about 30 minutes on on the phone lines as well. So be sure you are tuned in for that. But we're going to start hour number two by getting to those phone lines, and you can come in as well, 334-321-1390. inspector you're on the line, man. What's up?
2: Hey, uh, let me talk to you about, uh, about Auburn and being in the top 25. You yep. know, I, ain't, I ain't surprised at all, but listen, I'm going to take you back. Okay. 2012 was one of our worst years, maybe it was 60 years, okay? Yep. Um, then we hired Gus, you know, Gus, I don't know if he was, I can't, I, I can't recall whether he was re- totally responsible or not, but he had two five stars on his recruiting class. And, uh, the similarities, you know, everybody wants to compare Gus with, with freeze, right? Mm-hmm. But you No, know, that first year of Gus, he had two five stars, basically like, like, uh, freeze has today. All right, with that being said, Gus took a team that was 0-8 in the conference in, in 12 and took that team to the national championship. Unfortunately, we lost to FSU. But, but With that being said, it's not impossible. I mean, it's, it's very likely that Auburn can actually repeat history here
1: yeah yeah you know it's funny that you bring that up because I actually uh, I mentioned that in the first hour you know I've heard a lot of Auburn fans talking in this offseason Spectre, especially as the season gets closer and, and that preseason poll kind of helped them talk about this. you know it's a first year head coach, right It's a it's a new system. Expectations are non-existent. Right now, it's an odd year, right? Which we know what happens on odd years Auburn getting Georgia and Alabama both at home. Uh, And it, it seems like this is always the situation where Auburn goes out and does something magical, right? Auburn goes and does something that's completely unexpected of them to do. And you're absolutely right. 2013 was the last time that that really happened, where I think Auburn was coming off the worst season in history. And, yeah, they go all the way to the national championship game. You have Nick Marshall who could do some really special things and, of course, a couple of miracle plays later. And, and yeah, some really uh, fun things happened that year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's ironic that it's exactly 10 years.
1: Yeah, isn't yeah. it? I know. Isn't that crazy to think it was 10 years ago?
2: And both first-year coaches and both coaches are friends and similarities are, are alike. You know, a lot of people argue that point that they're they're not, but some people say that, Freezes Gus 2.0. But, uh, with that being said, I'm I'm really anxious to see what this team can do. And I I believe they can do it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think it's going to be a good year, Specter. I really really do. I mean, look, I'm not expecting two of the craziest plays that ever happened in college football and Auburn to go on and, and play in the national championship game or anything, but. I'm also not expecting doom and gloom five and seven like people outside of this state and conference are trying to say about Auburn. So uh, I think from what I've seen and from what I know and what we've already seen off the field, I mean it's really hard for me to expect Auburn to not have a somewhat good year in year one under Hugh Freeze.
2: Yeah, you're right. I remember back in 2013. I mean, we a lot of all of Auburn fans had the same outlook that you know seven, eight wins at most. And shoot, here you are in the national championship.
1: Yeah, and and it's crazy because I think there's a big group of fans right now that maybe feel that before Hugh Freeze came in and did what he's already done, I think before Auburn hired a coach, when Harson was fired, and Auburn was in just a horrible place. I mean, there were a lot of Auburn fans, and I'm not saying they're wrong, they they thought that this program was in a worse spot than it was coming out of that twenty twelve season. And and they had an argument for that.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. But anyway, I want to get that in for you. Yeah. change. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah,
1: appreciate it, man. I appreciate you calling in, Spector. 334-321-1390. And before we talk about practice, I want to talk about that a little bit as well, because that's a really good point. And and I did bring that up in the first hour because again. Auburn fans have started to not all, but a lot of them have started to put those different puzzle pieces together about hey, remember the last time we had all these different situations? Right? Remember the last time we were coming out of one of the worst years in the history of this program where we also had a first-year head coach who knew how to call offensive plays and brought in some talent? And it was an odd year where we get Georgia and Alabama at home. Do you remember the last time we did that? It's what Auburn fans have been saying. Oh, yeah. It's what Spectre just talked about is when you went and played Florida State in the national championship game, and, and ultimately you should have won. So it's hard. It's hard for Auburn fans to not notice those things. And I'm not saying you're wrong by any means. It's, it's a lot to expect that, and I don't think anybody's truly expecting that. But I think it's wrong to expect Auburn to be a bad team this year. I think it's wrong to expect it just to go absolutely poorly this year. And you look at what media outside of Auburn are saying. Just look at how the media voted at SEC Media Days. They've got Auburn finishing 6th or 7th in the SEC West. That's flat out wrong. That is flat out wrong. Now, I voted with a little bit more optimism and said Auburn was going to finish third. But I think they're going to finish third, fourth, bottom. The worst would be fifth for me in the SEC West. I just don't see a situation where a combination of Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mississippi State are all better than you. I don't see that. Or two of those three are better than you. I don't see that situation playing out this year. I think Auburn's an eight-win team. I really do. Before the season starts, as we sit here 23 days away, I think Auburn's an eight-win team. And you know what? That's a great first year under head coach Hugh Freeze. Now, are some fans' expectations going to be higher than that because of what happened in 2013? Yeah, they are. And that's unrealistic. That's unrealistic. That's not supposed to happen, right? That was not supposed to happen in 2013. And the only reason it did was because Auburn pulled off two of the greatest college football plays in the history of the game. That wasn't supposed to happen. And I do believe, and you know what? I think I'm in this boat. After the Brian Harson era, with how that went down all of the controversy that was happening, all of the, all of just the the dark days that Auburn went through, the Penn State game, right? All of the other games that Auburn lost while he was here, all the stuff happening behind the scenes while he was here, the investigations that were happening while he was here. To me, in my personal opinion, and I've been I grew up during both. We all went through both. I think that was a darker time than what Auburn was going through coming out of the 2012 season, which by wins and losses was the worst season Auburn has ever had. But there wasn't a ton of optimism coming out of 2012, but I don't think it was just so bad as what we were going through with Harson when he was leaving and when he was gone because, man, it just seemed like there was nothing Auburn could do. And I think there's a lot of things that play into that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that not only was Alabama still winning national championships, Georgia jumped in and, and they were winning a couple as well. Let's get to the phone lines once again. 1390 You're on the line. Who am I speaking with?
3: Hey, this is Shane.
1: Hey, Shane, what's up, man?
3: Hey man, I just wanted to chime in. Um, a couple of things. Um, you know, if you go back to Tuberville, Tuberville in '4 should have won national championship, some some, some claimant because of USC. Uh, uh, Chizik uh Chiswick did win a national championship. Gus played for one. So so besides Harson, the last three coaches, we've had pretty good coaches. And and I, I kind of take offense to like the the criticism of Gus Malzahn because his first few years you know were were awesome, you know. He his problem was he could not adapt. Correct. He had a he figured out a scheme and he was amazing at it. But as it four or five years later, people were figuring it out. Rules changed and now he could not adapt to to to, 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 to counteract that. Mm-hmm. Now if if Freeze is Gus two that's a good thing because that means he's an upgrade. That means, I mean, Gus Malzahn took us to a championship. He he. To, you know, he had several good years where where we're, you know, we're in the thick of it. So I don't see that. I don't I don't see the criticism of Gus. Uh, I I really hate it because I I loved Gus. You know, I wish that he if he could have adapted, he would still be our coach right now. If he could have figured out how to counteract, you know, some of that, I think you know he he would he would either I think he would his tenure would have been a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, I, I think you're I think you're right. You're 100% accurate on on the fact that look, Gus Malzahn, he brought the hurry up no huddle offense to the SEC and nobody had really seen that before. I mean, he brought high school football to the SEC and it worked. I mean, literally. He brought he brought yeah. a fast-paced high school football system to the SEC and it worked. And that's why he was able to go to a national championship game. And, and that's why a quarterback like Nick Marshall was able to be so successful here, but you're hundred percent, right? He didn't adjust when other people figured it out. When rules started changing to basically hurt that type of play, um, he, he didn't adjust. He was going to run that stuff until he was going to run it into the ground until it died. And that's pretty much what happened. Now I will say to this Shane, His recruiting tailed off as well, and I think that was a big part of it. His, His recruiting, he hit the ground running hard, but it sort of tailed off as time went on. And you saw that with where the recruiting class was when he left. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Um, But when it comes to Hugh Freeze, I don't see him as a Gus Malzahn 2.0. I know a lot of people like Uh, to say that. I think there are similarities. There's no doubt about it. They've been around each other too much for there not to be. Um, but, But I think Hugh Freeze... Has adjusted. I think he has adapted, and you know what? That's why Hugh Freeze is a head coach in the Southeastern Conference, and Gus Malzahn is not.
3: Yeah, and, you know, he, he they are a little similar, but they're a lot different as well. Correct. The recruiting, like you said, Gun, uh, Hugh Freeze has been can he can develop a quarterback, which was a flaw of Gus Malzahn. He had to have one that was already you know mm-hmm. where they were going to be. Uh, so so that's a big difference. And and to the point of of uh, expectations, I don't I don't want us to be uh, twelve and zero this year. I don't want to win. I don't want to play for the championship, get in the playoffs this first year. I want us to take a giant step step forward. I want to, I want us to be an eight, maybe nine win team, but but the, the, it also hurt us, you know, going to that championship in thirteen, because we came off of from a horrible, maybe the worst one to to one of the best ones back to back and our expectations were through the roof and unrealistic yeah so i don't I, I don't want it to be like that i want us to take you know steps forward in the right direction gather all of our troops get, you know keep keep the momentum keep the recruiting going like this and then you know you're, you're talking about in 2 years 3 years we're competing for, for championships then at that point.
1: Right, and it's a weird statement to say, right? And I'm not saying that yeah, you're it wrong. Is, it's it I, I know 100% where you're coming from, and y- you're talking about you want, it to, you want to see this thing built from the ground up and start the right yeah. way and, and just do a constant build up and and I think that's what's going to happen Shane I really really do I think that's what's going to happen you've seen a big jump in recruiting uh, and I think you're going to see Auburn and Hugh Freeze as long as they get the results on the field um, I think you're going to see them constantly get better and better in recruiting they're always going to be in the door now for those big name players they did the groundwork this year and you're going to see it again this coming year and then they will always be in the door they won't have to work three times as hard as everybody else to make up ground for the previous coaching staff, right? So I think recruiting is going to be taken care of. And then I a hundred percent get what you're saying on the field. And the biggest thing for me, and you sort of alluded to this that I've been talking about in 2023. No, I don't need a national championship. I don't yeah. need you to play in the playoff. I'd like to see it. Sure. But I don't need that. What I want to see is, is you get some wins, beat somebody you're not supposed to, and compete yeah. in every single game you play in. I'm tired of Auburn getting smacked in a game that they're supposed to be in, like Penn State. Auburn needs to compete and get better every single game this year.
3: Yep, win the games that we're supposed to win, and pull off wide upset this year. That would be success. And if we're getting better each game, like you know, improve each game to to where. The recruits are seeing that. Yep. That are that have not committed yet. Oh, these guys. Okay, I can I can take them at their word now because they're backing it on the field. Right. That's how you do it. And, yep. And, and so yeah, I'm excited. I I mean, if we win every game, I will not be upset. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> That's right.
3: But but you know, I just want I want some something. I want to watch it and be proud that this is my team, not. Not getting blown out by Georgia every time, every
1: time they play. Yep, I, I think there's a lot of people that are in agreement with you, Shane.
3: Where, where you go, buddy?
1: Yep, appreciate the call, man. 13-90. 3, 3, 3, 1, and one thing too, uh, I think that plays into this. Not only do do we want to see the team get better week in and week out, because look, that's what good, great college football teams do. I mean, you hear coaches talk about it all the time, and it's not just coach speak; it's the truth. You want you're supposed to get better every single week. That's what makes a championship level football team. Is you get better every single week. But not only do I want to see the team get better. I want to see players get better every single week. I want to see the starting quarterback get better as the season goes on. I want to see the offensive line improve as the season goes on. Right? I want to see the linebackers if they miss a play in week one, when that same situation pops up in week four on the road at Texas A&M, they make that play, right? When a safety misreads a play and gets beat deep on a throw against Cal, three weeks later against Georgia, when that happens, they read it properly and they pick off the football, right? I want to see those things as well. And I feel like we haven't seen that in a long time around here. I feel like we haven't seen guys get better during their time at Auburn and the quarterback situation in the quarterback conversation is a whole other branch off of that. And Shane mentioned it about Gus, where if he didn't have the best quarterback in the country, then it didn't matter because he wasn't going to get any better when he was here. I promise you that. And so I'm ready to see players get developed. And Shane was talking about recruiting. That's where you're going to see recruiting, take a jump. Sure. The wins are great. The atmospheres are fun, but at the end of the day, the players want to get better. They want to leave high school and go to a college football program that's going to make them better and ultimately put them in the NFL. That's what they want. And if Hugh Freeze and this entire coaching staff, who's built out a great coaching staff, if they can show improvement in their position groups and in each individual player that's where you're going to see recruiting take the biggest jump, which will then lead to more wins, playoff berths, and hopefully national championships. 334 321 90 A couple great phone calls. We'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, we'll talk some about practice today before we get to Chris Gordy of Locked on SEC at 3.30. All that coming up here on the Thursday edition of On the Line.
0: are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All
1: right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7. That was a fun conversation. I'm glad we uh, glad we went down that road. Had a couple of great phone calls as well. Just talking, talking expectations, right? Talking about the expectations for this Auburn team. Uh, in 2023 Auburn football that is and how there aren't a lot of expectations and that's okay that's okay because now all of us the ones that cover it the ones that write about it the ones that talk about it and you the fans that watch it get to go into it and just watch and see what happens and sure we we want to see we want to see some wins, right? We want to see Auburn beat the teams they're supposed to and like I said, beat the ones you're supposed to, get an upset somewhere, beat somebody you're not supposed to beat and be competitive. Don't get blown out. Don't let Penn State 2.0 happen to you. If you do that, Auburn fans are going to be okay. Even a 7 and 5 year and all five losses are competitive, I think you'll be okay. Show promise. Show improvement, and everything will be just fine. So, speaking of that Auburn football team, got a couple of minutes here. I uh, went to practice this morning. Uh, we got the uh, another media viewing window today, and I only have a couple of minutes. So, if you miss me talk about this, I had a whole thirty minutes on it earlier today in hour number one so be sure uh, you go and catch up with the podcast later today after the show commercial free at espnau.com because coming up chris gordy of locked on sec is going to join us on the phone line so uh, if you want my full breakdown of practice go catch up with the podcast later on today but just to quickly recap uh sort of what happened this morning at practice, uh, Peyton Thorne was back with the ones uh, at the quarterback spot. He was uh, throwing, throwing with the first-team offense. Um, not super shocked by that. Uh, he was throwing with the ones. Jarquez Hunter was his running back. Uh, the offensive line was the same that it has been over the last couple of, of practices, and I think it is pretty set in stone. Gunner Britton at right tackle, Cam Stutz at right guard, Avery Jones at center, Tate Johnson left guard, and Dylan Wade at left tackle. Uh, you had Rivaldo Fairweather was your starter tight end with the ones. You had Luke Deal running with the twos. Uh, but the 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 thing that really caught my eye was the wide receiver core that was running with the ones. Uh, it was it was Jay Fair, Amari Kelly, and Nick Martner who were running with the ones and that was interesting to me because I don't think that's who you're going to see in game one as your go-to starting receiver core but maybe they're just switching it up a little bit showing us a little something different and and mixing up the receiving group to see who works best with who so that's what really caught my eye I watched a lot of offense today not a ton of defense as I said in the first hour Wasn't anything too crazy happening today at practice? Didn't see anything that just I was rushing back to the studio to tell you, right? But some promising things that I saw. Quarterbacks look good. Robbie had some good throws. Gurner had some good throws. And so did Peyton Thorne running with the ones. We'll recap the show and wrap it up talking a little bit more football. But again, if you missed me talking heavily about practice today, You can catch up with the podcast after the show. But, hey, don't go anywhere. Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC, joins me when we come back. We'll get the biggest storylines around the conference and figure out who's playing where when it comes to conference realignment in college football. Don't go anywhere. Chris Gordy of Locked on SEC joins me when we come back.
0: are on the line with Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
1: All right, we got 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds. Not the of Jacob Golds with you on the Auburn Open like a sports leader ESPN 106.7. And as always on Thursday afternoons, we're joined by Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. Chris, we are 23 days away from everybody but Vanderbilt kicking off in 2023. And we're even closer than that for the Commodores taking on Hawaii, man.
4: Yeah, crazy to think uh, three weeks from tonight, we'll be watching uh, Mizzou and South Dakota. I know not many people interested in that, but I'm curious to just get a look at Mizzou and what Brady Cook is going to look like as their quarterback, how they use Luther Burton and all that. And then in the nightcap later that night, we'll get Florida and Utah, and we'll get to see what uh, Graham Mertz looks like, and uh, obviously Billy Napier, a lot of pressure on him coming into year two, so... Yeah, crazy thing. You know, we got some preseason NFL starting tonight, but three weeks from tonight, we'll have two SEC teams in action, and it's uh, going to be a lot of
1: fun. Isn't it wild how they have used opening weekend of college football, and they have successfully expanded it from Thursday all the way through Monday?
4: Oh yeah, and and I'll actually <laughs> uh, be down there. My, my wife got us tickets for uh, LSU, Florida State. Oh so nice! I'll be, I'll be checking out that one in Orlando. Uh, you know, week one, but now... Now all the frustrations of having to plan out how I'm going to stream all the games on Saturday from a hotel and all that. So we're trying to figure all that stuff out. But uh, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, they it, it, it's been great with the NFL moving to three preseason games instead of four like it used to be because they've basically cleared the way. That week one, they get out of the way for uh, you know week one of college football, and you know it's Labor Day weekend and all that. So pretty cool that they take full advantage of it and, and i wouldn't be surprised if we get, keep getting bigger and bigger headline games that weekend
1: well chris you are uh one of the best in the business covering the southeastern conference and fall practice going on everywhere in this conference uh tell our listeners what the uh, biggest storylines are around the scc from all the different fall camps happening right now in college football
4: yeah, it's funny. I mean, the, the Alabama quarterback battle, we, we still don't really have much clarity on it. I, I talked with my guy at Alabama. He he says he thinks, in his opinion, that Tyler Buckner is out of the race, and that this is a two two horse race between Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. And last I talked to him, he thought Milrow kind of had an upper hand. Yeah. liked The dual they liked the duality of his running ability and, and all that kind of stuff, and they really just wanted to pressure him to cut down on the mistakes. There were way too many, you know, turnovers and. Uh, lame ducks that he threw in the spring and, and obviously a couple times in the season last year, they wanted him to just grab the ball by the horn, so we're going to continue to track that and see over the next two weeks if, if he does that. I still don't know if Nick Saban will go as far as to announce a starter before week one when you open with Middle Tennessee State coming to Tuscaloosa. I don't think they necessarily need to come around and say, this guy is QB1. I think they can play two, if not three guys in that game as a dress rehearsal for, for Texas coming in into week two, so We'll see how they play it. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Ole Miss co- continues to say it's a quarterback battle, yet every time they put out social media, it's always uh, Jackson Dart is, the, is like the first picture they put out. So it's just funny that uh, you know that they haven't named the quarterback. Uh, Spencer Sanders is supposedly still battling, but they, they put out on social media constantly pictures of Jackson Dart. So I'm like, I guess he's starting. I don't know. You know, they haven't really announced it, but we did hear that you know he looked very good throughout the spring cut down on his turnovers, and, you know, they've they got a huge, deep wide receiver room. That, that's what kind of opened my eyes watching some of the clips from Ole Miss the other day. They have got – I mean, they're like nine deep at wide receiver. It's crazy how wow. many guys they have in there. So uh, Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points. Uh, outside of that, you know, expecting Florida. I think today Billy Napier was thinking about, you know, making a, a naming a starting quarterback, which is no surprise. It's going to be Graham Mertz. But uh, we'll get the suspense out of the way either today or tomorrow with that. Um, And then, you know, one of the things that just kind of surprised me, we're in watch list season, and I could not believe, I talked about this on our podcast today, I watched it at SEC, I could not believe the Doak Walker Award watch list came out yesterday. 75 names from across the country as far as running backs go, yet only seven names from the SEC, two guys from LSU and two guys from Tennessee, not one running back from Alabama or Georgia made the list. And I just think that's absolutely crazy. Look, does Georgia – like to go running back by committee, sure. But, man, I, I just thought that Kendall Milton would be worthy of putting on that list. And, you know, is, is Alabama going to maybe go more with Justice Haynes or Jason McClellan? I think they're both going to play and play a lot. I would have put one of those guys on there. Surprised not, not either the Florida running backs got on there, tr- you know, Trevor Atien, Montrell Johnson. But the biggest snub to me, Jarquez Hunter. How do you not put that guy on the list? Absolute insanity. From the Doak Walker Award watch list, they had three Colorado running backs on their list. Not one, you know, Alabama, Georgia, or Auburn running back. I just think that's crazy.
1: Yeah, and it, it 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 hurts it almost hurts the integrity of a list like that when when it's so obvious that names like that are not on there, right? When though when you leave off some of the biggest names, and I know there's some question marks with Alabama and and Georgia's leading running back not practicing right now, and there have been some concerns with Jarquez Hunter, but he's back at practice, and so yeah, it just blows my mind when you see some of the biggest names at the running back position in this conference left off a list like that.
4: Yeah, and how about Ray Davis, who, who transfers from Vanderbilt to Kentucky. The guy was fourth in rushing in the SEC last year, and they don't even put him on there. You don't think he's going to tote the rock for Kentucky this year? He's going to He'll be a 1,000-yard rusher at Kentucky this year. So I, I, Again, I, it's crazy. You don't even put him on a watch list, let alone say, hey, this guy might be in for a big season. So uh, they'll probably have a little egg on their face when we get to the backstretch of the season. I will at least give them credit. At least they had Rocket Sanders and Quinshaw Judkins on there, but – Man, what a miss with a lot of the other names in the SEC.
1: Chris, is there is there a battle or a position group right now with any particular SEC school? I guess outside of the quarterbacks, right? That's the one everybody's talking about. It's the one everybody wants to know. But any other position group for a specific team in this conference that you've had your eye on or maybe heard good things about so far through fall camp?
4: Yeah, the defensive back at LSU is a huge concern for me. Uh, you know, they... they they went into the transfer portal last year, got a bunch of guys, they made it work, and all those guys either graduated or went off to the NFL. So then they had to redo it again. They, they dip into the portal, they get Deuce Chestnut, a, a nice corner from Syracuse, and they get Zai Alexander, an in kid that was playing at one of the smaller schools in Louisiana. Those two guys project to be their starting corners. Um, other guys they brought in, J.K. Johnson from Ohio State, he was on a, on a scooter and a boot earlier this week. He's still not healthy and ready to go. So th- there's all these guys they've recruited well there. Javon Toviano is a guy that I've heard has, has looked really good. But if LSU's got to turn to, uh, you know, basically a Division two level DB and a Syracuse DB to, to lean on in an SEC season with SEC wide receivers, I just really wonder, you know, is that going to be a weakness for them? Now, I like the, second, the, the safety core. With Major Burns, the former Georgia safety, and uh, Greg Brooks, the former Arkansas DB, I think they're fine at safety. But man, big questions at corner for LSU, and they're loaded at every other spot. I mean, linebackers is is good. Uh, you know, defensive ends they loaded up in the portal. The interior is probably the best in the SEC when you talk about Big Mason Smith and there with Makai Wingo, uh, and obviously everything they bring back on offense with Jaden Daniels and Malik Davis and all those guys back. My one biggest concern for LSU is DB. And from the early reports through the first few days of camp, uh, my guys down there were telling me LSU's receivers are eating. And, and, and again, maybe that's just LSU's receivers that good. But, man, it, it could be a big, big problem in that Florida State game. If they can't, uh, if they can't cover and take away the deep, the deep ball, then uh, they might be in for a shootout on a, a couple Sundays from now. So that's one of the big concerns for me. Uh, Other than that, South Carolina still watching that offensive line. I still don't trust them. I hope they can develop some continuity there and protect Spencer Rattler because we saw it, guys. Like early in the season last year, South Carolina Rattler was getting murdered. Back into the season, they protected him, and look what they did—they upset Tennessee, they upset Clemson. So, uh, if South Carolina can protect and and find some running backs, that's their big, big problem. You know, is it going to be Juju McDowell, Dakarian Joyner? I heard you know they're trying to use him in the backfield a little bit more. But, you know, some questions there for South Carolina. Some people may be picking them as maybe a dark horse in the east. Uh, and then everything else. I mean, Tennessee's kind of coming along. I like what I'm hearing about their defense. I think the receivers are good. I think Joe Milton's going to be solid. Um, you know, and then I was you know, hearing some reports from Auburn that they're kind of solidifying on the offensive line. As you know, Peyton Thorne back out there taking first-team snaps again. Mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think Auburn's kind of settling in here and starting to develop a little chemistry here.
1: Yeah, we're speaking with Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. He joins us every Thursday here on ESPN 106.7. I was going to ask you about Auburn, what you've seen or heard. I don't I don't think you've made a trip down here yet. I haven't seen you walking around the facility, but uh, what have you what have you been seeing online and what have you been told so far about Auburn in fall practice?
4: Yeah, I, I, my, my plan was to get around this this uh, these couple weeks leading up to it, but now with uh, going to Orlando, I think that's kind of throwing everything off here for me. But uh, no, a few people i talked to have said that they like what they've seen. You know, I think there was a little shock uh, from some people on day one when they went out there. Peyton Thorne was running with the first team, and Robbie Aster was running with the third team, and I know Hugh Freeze comes out and says, ah, oh, don't read anything into it. Everybody's going to rotate and all that. But, uh, you know, it's been a handful of days uh, You know, now through camp where Peyton Thorne's been running with the ones, and I'm curious to see who those starting receivers are going to be. I know yeah. Nick Bartner, you know, figures to be one of those guys, but that's the spot I've heard that they've been kind of rotating a lot with the first and second team units and all that. And I think we we get wild when we hear a Caleb Burton, an elite-level receiver, comes from Ohio State. We just you – know, a lot of people, I think, just automatically penciled him in as a starter, and then they see him running with, you know, second and third team at times. I think a lot of people are like, okay, well, maybe, maybe they're trying to make him earn it, or maybe he's just not ready. Maybe the other guys are better. So – uh, the receiver is, is definitely a big, big spot for Auburn that, that can really make or break how successful this offense is going to be. And, uh, you know, the more and more reports I hear about the creativity that, that they're trying to work in, the wrinkles on offense, I, d- I do think Robbie Asher is going to play a role in this offense. I think there are going to be design plays where they get him in there. I think he's just too he's too good of a runner not to use his abilities, and, uh, you know, he might be an X-factor in this offense. and you know, maybe they get down to some goal line plays. We see Asher come in with some packages for him. Would not surprise me. So I'm excited, man. Again, Auburn is is kind of like playing with, uh, you know, playing with with house money here, where I don't think they really have anything to lose. But I'm excited to see how creative a few freeze and Philip Montgomery get uh, as they go along, because I think they just got so many weapons they just don't know how to use everybody in what spots yet.
1: Yeah, we were uh, over at practice this morning for the media viewing window. Peyton Thorne was running with the ones uh, at the quarterback spot. Jarquez Hunter at the running backs, but the receivers is what I've talked a lot about today, Chris, because there was it was a whole different group of guys. They've been they've been moving them around just about every single day, uh, and, and I guess it's just trying to figure out who's going to be the best in which situation and which scenario, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of talent in that room, I think when it comes to Auburn's wide receivers, but there's still a few weeks left to try to figure out who's going to be running with the ones and catching the football from what we assume is going to be Peyton Thorne as the starter.
4: Yeah. And, and Jair Shorter, you know, how do they use him? Jace Fair, Amari Kelly. I mean, it, they, 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 got guys. It's just who who's going to be the guys to step up to play a big role. And, yeah, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday who keeps up with a lot of SEC stuff, and uh, you know, we were debating like when's the last time Auburn had not one but two true just stud wide receivers where you had to worry about this this side of the field, that side of the field. And it's been a, it's been a little while since they've had multiple good receivers in one season. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see, man. I know they're going to try to run, the, you know, they're going to run the ball a lot. Obviously, when you have Jarquez Hunter and. And all these pieces like that, and I think the offensive line is looking like it's coming together now. So uh, if they can get the receiver thing figured out, you know, I, I, I saw Roberts talking about the defense yesterday. I know he's fired up about that group, and you know, a lot of different guys grab, grabbing, uh, you know, grabbing headlines already. So I, I'm excited to see this group, man. I think uh, I think they're going to pull off an upset or two this year and, and surprise people.
1: Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SCC, joins us every Thursday at 3.30 here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. One more before we let you get out of here. You were talking about the Alabama quarterback room, and we had our Alabama guy on yesterday, and he talked about Jalen Milroe would be his pick to be the starter. And It's crazy that we're all sort of hearing about Buckner not being in the race anymore, and yet Alabama went and handpicked him in the transfer portal this offseason.
4: Yeah, and it's weird when you try to when you try to figure out find out some details around it, right? I mean, like uh, you know, Tommy Reese when he was at uh, Notre Dame, they they didn't settle on Tyler Buckner and said, oh, we feel comfortable with him. They went and brought in Sam Hartman, uh, you know, through the transfer portal to come in and 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 be the guy. And then Tommy Reese leaves, and then he goes and calls Buckner to come down to Alabama with him. I just part of me thinks it was just adding more competitive. Uh, you know some so more competitiveness to the quarterback room i just uh the, you know when i when i saw that spring game with alabama there were some there were some bright spots but there was a lot of negatives there were just bad balls uh turnovers interceptions thrown by those quarterbacks and i think tommy reese and nick saban just said what else can we get what else can we add and they brought in buckner and again not under the impression oh Buckner is going to come in and be the starter but at least have somebody that can push these guys to be better and again that's what I think maybe the old Miss thing was with Spencer Sanders. You know, you're not coming in to, to beat out Jackson Dart. You're just coming in to push Jackson Dart, make him cut out all his mistakes, and, and play like he, you know, grab the bull by the horns and, and win this job. So, I, I do think that's what's going to happen at Bama. Again, we'll see if it's Jalen Noro ends up being the guy. But if he is, man, I, you know, I would not be surprised if you know he ends up playing very well and ends up being one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. He's got the skill set. He's got the talent. And that's what's just so funny when I see all these, you know, the Davy O'Brien Award watch list and all these, all these quarterback award watch lists. And for the first time ever, you know, no Alabama guys making some of these watch lists. Well, I think whoever grabs, you know, grabs that starting job is going to make a name for themselves very quickly and uh, and really start to impress. And if Alabama's undefeated and that guy's putting up big numbers, we're talking about being on the Heisman watch list. So we'll see how it plays out. Again, I'm, you know, I, I like to be. Devil's advocate and, and play into the rumors of maybe Alabama loses three games and maybe Nick Saban decides to retire. I'll take that one, but uh, again, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks.
1: He hosts Locked on SECs on Sports Talk Radio in Houston as well. Chris, as always, we appreciate you uh, and your time letting us know and giving us updates around the entire Southeastern Conference. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you, find your podcast, uh, and what you got coming up as we are, like you mentioned at the start of this phone call, just about three weeks away from college football.
4: Yeah, we'll be uh, continuing to count down the days, getting some fall camp updates uh, throughout next week, kind of previewing some teams we did a. Uh, tennessee today i think we're doing kentucky tomorrow and then uh next week we'll kind of shift and get into some more of the teams in the west i know everybody's at blackerby's going to jump on, on with us to a crossover edition and uh yeah man getting closer and uh starting to answer a lot of questions and i uh, can't wait till that ball is kicked
1: off we'll go check them out locked on scc uh, wherever you get your podcast and on youtube as well chris it's always a pleasure man we'll talk to you next thursday Yeah, man. Thanks, Jacob. That's Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. Again, he joins us every Thursday at 3.30. He's been with me for a long, long time, and I appreciate him every single week. He's one of the best guests I have throughout the week, and uh, he's one of the best in the business when it comes to covering the Southeastern Conference. So we'll take our final break, come back, wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you want to join me, come on in. Give me a call at 334-321-1390. I'll wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line when I come back.
0: Are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at espnau.com or on the ESPN 1067 app.
1: Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. Big thanks to Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. He joins us every Thursday here on the show at 3.30 and uh, giving us updates around the Southeastern Conference every single week. And so uh, we appreciate him and his time. He's been with me for a long, long time. So I uh, appreciate him every single week. A lot of fun always catching up with Chris Gordy. Go check out his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Well, it's been a great show today. Uh, it's flown by, really. It's gone by really, really quick. If you missed any of today's show, I uh, talked a lot about in the first hour uh, about Auburn's practice today. I was over there this morning. Uh, what 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 I saw, uh, what they let us see, right, is is a bigger part of that. Um, talking about in the offense, really, who ran with the ones, who ran with the twos, who ran with the threes. Uh, the offensive line seems to be set in stone uh, for the most part. Uh, the receivers were interesting today on the formation and who was out there. So, uh, if you missed any of that conversation or uh, I also talked about and looked at the preseason uh, coaches poll and, and sort of broke down where some of those teams uh, fell and, and really who could, who could rise and who could fall as the season goes on. So I uh, talked about that in the first hour and then had a good conversation with some callers about the expectations for Auburn in 2023 and how there aren't any And that's okay. Plus my conversation with Chris Gordy. So if you missed any of it, catch the podcast at ESPNAU.com. Hey, tune in tomorrow. You're going to want to be here. I've got an announcement to make tomorrow, okay? And tomorrow in the second hour, it's going to be something a little different and you don't want to miss it. Two to four right here on ESPN 106.7. But until then, come back. You don't want to miss it tomorrow on the line, 2 to 4, here on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins. Until tomorrow, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.